We've been talking about that, and, and we've realized that the number one thing for God is to reveal His glory. He wants to make Himself known to His creation, and He wants us to, he wants us to worship Him and, and take our place as His, uh, as, as in the role that we were created for, and, and that is to have a relationship with Him. Um, I was having this conversation with somebody once, and they said, well, isn't he egocentric? He just wants us to worship him. I think that we have that confused a little bit. It's not that God has this desire, and he's so egocentric that, that we have to uh, worship him, and he's got all these. It's that he is so amazing. It is that God is so, um, his glory is so awesome that as we enter relationship with him, we should come to the place that we just can't help but worship him. It's, it's, it's something that just naturally uh, should come out of us. And you can see everything uh, is worshiping God. I, even look in creation and the way things are going. Teresa and I um, planted a, a garden this year. Uh, one of the things I, I did read that, uh, now we've had gardens in the past, not the last few years, but uh, I think it's one of the quarantine things to do this year is uh, plant a garden. Everybody's got extra time. So we planted a garden, and it's amazing. It's been amazing, everything from seed. And we're watching all the seeds begin to grow, and they're, they're taking shape. And the squash has started to have these, these big, awesome flowers. And, you know, the, the squash and the zucchini, they're going to be coming soon. The tomatoes have started to flower. And I'm looking at this, and, and it's just amazing to see that. And, and as I'm going through this, I'm thinking— it's awesome to think that these plants are attributing to God's glory. You know, it's, it's because of Him that life happens and that these things grow. And man, it's, it's just amazing. I love it. When we don't worship Him, when we try to rule our own lives for our own glory, that's sin. And God knows that we have a predisposition for this, so to help us, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to clothed in humanity, to bear the consequence for our sin. Last week, we talked about Jesus' transfiguration. An awesome, awesome story. Jesus, be, really, He became the glory of God. God's glory shone brightly and in and through and around Him, and, and Moses and Elijah appeared. You guys uh, remember that if you were uh, listening last week and God's glory surrounded all of them and he had some disciples with him Peter and James and John and, and the, a cloud God's glory physical manifestation descended onto the mountaintop where they were and became um, I can't even imagine having to been immersed like they were into God's glory like his glory literally came and immersed them in him and when the cloud left, Moses and Elijah were gone. The cloud was gone. It was just Jesus. And that was the lesson that I took away. I wanted us to take away from last week that no matter what happens, everything in life disappears. It's just Jesus. It's just him that we need to call on. We've been on a journey through God's glory. God's glory passed from God to Jesus and then from Jesus to his disciples and we receive God's glory and, and, and we accept him into our hearts and, and Jesus is the gateway to God's glory so it's, it's really interesting the way that God has set this up so his glory went through Jesus to his disciples and, and to us but the way that happens is as we accept Jesus Jesus who 
is God's glory, His glory becomes manifest in our lives. I don't know if you've caught, it's like this giant uh, jigsaw puzzle that just begins to all come together. So today I'd like to talk about the result of God's transforming glory in our lives. God's transforming glory in our lives. What does that look like? So we're going to read a scripture out of Exodus today. It's going to be our, our primary scripture, and I would let, let everybody know that you can go to the Bible app, the Version Bible app, and get the notes for today. In fact, I would encourage you to look at today's notes because there's a lot of scripture that we're going to go through today. And then uh, you can also get the church's app, the Lantana Church app, uh, and you can actually text uh, Lantana app to 77977 if you don't have it yet, and uh, it'll help you get to that download and go to the sermon notes for today. All right, so the scripture we're going to read, you guys remember the story that Moses went up to the, on the mountaintop and um, God gave him the tablets with the Ten Commandments on it, right? And he came back down from the mountaintop and the Israelites, if you remember, they were worshiping a golden calf. You remember that? Like he, and he was mad about it. He threw those tablets down and they broke. And uh, so God said, okay, <laughs> We're going to have to do this again. Come on back up to Mount Sinai, and, and let's have a talk. And, and so that's kind of what was happening as we pick up today's scripture in uh, Exodus chapter 34. Uh, and you've got to hear this, starting with verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets, the first, and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there him and proclaimed his name the Lord. First of all, can you imagine the Lord came down a cloud again, remember, and, and was standing there with him. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming this. To the next slide. Okay, I'll just go to my notes here. Um, oh, here it is. Alright, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their, and their children for the parents to the third and fourth generation, for the sin of the parents. The, the interesting thing about what's going on here is Moses was begging God, I want to see you. Please, God, let me see you. I have to see you. And God said, listen, you can't handle it. You can't see me and survive. No person can. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I will pass by you. And when I do, I will cover you. And I've said this the last couple of weeks because it's an amazing story. And then when I, when I get past you, you can look at me from behind. And that's, that's where we pick this up here. Moses gets to see God from behind. It's, it's an amazing thing. So that's, that's what happened here. All right, but I want to talk about, so, so Moses saw his glory, even if it was from, his, from behind. If, if God was walking away, he, he still he saw his glory. He was in his glory. The cloud was there. So I want to talk about the consequence of glory. Now bear in mind, consequence does not always mean a negative thing. It, it's just the result of something. The consequence, the result of seeing God's glory. What happens to us when we encounter the glory of God. What is it that happens? I think the first thing we need to determine is that, to make sure we know, when we see God in His glory, when we see that, this is what we were just talking about, we will not help but be able to worship. We will not be able to 
contain ourselves. We will have to worship God. We will assume that posture. We will uh, uh, assume our rightful place as created before our Creator. We cannot stand in God's presence. It's very likely to assume that we will fall down before Him, at least on our knees. Just imagine, if you will, in your mind's eye, think about it. God is there. His glory is there shining around. Revelation, we read, paints this tremendous picture of God and what it's going to look like in all of His splendor. His glory is everywhere, and you're standing in front of Him. I've mentioned before that whenever I remembered who God was in that way, it changed the way that I prayed. Because I don't approach him loosely or, or cavalier-like. I, I, I'm very, I don't know, it just it changed the way that I think about God. We'll be humbled and awestruck, fall to our knees, aware of who God is and who we are. Today I want to turn our attention to the idea that our faces will reflect like mirrors, reflect like mirrors what we have seen and experienced as we enter into God's glory. The word that we spoke of last week in regards to Jesus, uh, the change that he had was metamorpho, to change form. It's the Greek word, it means to change form. It's the same word that will help us understand what happens to us, okay? So we talked about it with Jesus last week, and it says that he was changed, and like his clothes and everything became like light. You remember that? And, and the, the word change was metamorpho, to, to change shape, to change form. It literally changed who he was. Now, keep that in mind as you read Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorpho, by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when we read that in the past, I've thought, oh, it just, we'll just be conformed. Like, as I get closer to God, I'll, I'll kind of change. No, our form will be changed. Who we are changes. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be metamorpho. Be changed. Be physically transformed. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being metamorpho into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now listen, he's describing the work and the act of being sanctified. Unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. We're being metamorpho. We're being changed. Our form is being changed with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. Are you catching that? God gave his glory to Jesus, gave his glory to us, and that changes us. Man, I'm excited. I wish I could hear all the shouts at home. All right. Okay, so when we keep going, let's take a look at one of the first times that God's glory literally reflected off of someone's face. This is Exodus 34. We kind of skipped forward a little bit now to, to verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with, two, with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. The next slide. There we go. 
Afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commands the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses, when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face, but whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what, had been, what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went to speak with the Lord. It's crazy what's going on right now. He's, he's seen God, right? We just read his encounter with God. He comes back down, and they're all looking at him, and they're saying, man, we can't look at you. You're fa- like, we're scared of you. You're, what's going on with you? Your face, there's something. There's, you see, you've had that friend, right? There's, there's something wrong with your face. But this time, it wasn't like a, a smudge of chocolate on their face. It was like his face was light. He, he was light. He was, he was reflecting the glory of God. And so they were scared of him, and they, they said, hey, we want you to put a veil over. Like, we can't look at you, Moses. We can't see you. So this is interesting. Um, the passage says literally that the skin of his face shone. Like, if you, if you get into the Hebrew words, uh, the Hebrew word karan means his face shone the skin of his face shone the best way to describe it would be as if you could put a flashlight behind your face have you ever you you've seen like if you get a flashlight and when we were kids we should do it put it over our hand and you can see a little bit of light you're like whoa i can see through that's the, imagine that but in a, in a much brighter way like his face was shining they were looking at him it freaked them out they didn't understand what was going on they couldn't bear to see him that way it, he, he I, I can't even imagine what that would have looked like a flashlight behind his face you know it wasn't like he had a sunburn it wasn't like he had this great big old smile like hey i just saw god and it was awesome it was, it was different. It was different from even somebody who had a baby, Michael and Amanda. <laughs> as glorious of a thing as that is, and as beautiful as Emory is, and the excitement that comes along with that, what happened to Moses was different. He saw God, and his face was shining. It was glowing. So, so what were they afraid of? the people when they saw Moses Jewish scholars believe that the light beams coming from his face were so supernatural <laughs> light beams they just they were so supernatural that the people knew that Moses had God's endorsement like whoever the, now Moses was their leader and he was following them and, and God had done all these great things through him and and the miracle of the the cloud of uh, the pillar of, of fire and the pillar cloud that they followed those were all those things were awesome but this let the people know that Moses had God's endorsement all of a sudden whatever leadership abilities and qualities he had now they followed him because of a whole different reason like oh my goodness he is endorsed by God 
As we come into a political season, it's a big deal about who can endorse who. Maybe it's not as big as it used to be, but you know, like I want to endorse this person, I want to endorse them. Sometimes that endorsement carries weight. Imagine if you knew that God had endorsed the person. You're going to carry, uh, you're, you're going to just know and you're going to follow them and you're going to do, that's what, it, that's what the uh, Jewish scholars believed was happening. When the scripture says he's not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken to the Lord, he didn't know his face was glowing. He didn't see it. He came down. They all looked at him. They're like, dude, something's wrong with you. And they were like scared of him. He didn't realize that because the miracle was not for Moses. It was for everybody else. And it's the same for us. The miracle of God's glory is not for us. It's not so that it changes the way that we think about God, the way that we believe about God, it's so that God's glory is reflected and other people get to see and believe. It's the very reason that we react in a positive way when somebody is negative towards us. It changes their perception. Well, how are you able to do that? Well, I mean, because of God. When, when we don't let our emotions get carried away with us. You might recall last week that when we studied the transfiguration of Jesus, it, it was something like this happened to Jesus. It, it says that his robes became dazzling white, and, and he became dazzling white, including his clothes. The difference between Jesus and Moses is that Jesus became the glory of God. Like, he, his whole being was, was the glory of God. Moses, the glory was reflected on him. It was like Moses had the glory on him. Jesus had the glory through him, which kind of catches us up. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, so he, Paul's talking about Moses, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? Do you understand what he's talking about here? He's saying the ministry of God's glory that the law came through. The, the law was the, um, the condemnation. Like, if we didn't follow the law, we were condemned. The God, Jesus, came to bring something different. Right? And he's saying, so if... if the ministry that brought uh, condemnation or the law was glorious how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness for what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory and if what was transitory came with glory how much greater is the glory of that which lasts therefore since we have such a hope we are very bold we are not like moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away but their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. He's saying the law is um, like it's a veil that, that covers, okay? It, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. And Paul will talk again in Galatians about um, how important the relationship we have with Jesus and the Holy Spirit is because it's through him that we have salvation the law brings condemnation jesus brings righteousness and salvation and the only way if we want to live according to the law and the condemnation and the old style of glory is if we follow it 
perfectly, which no person can do. All right, verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is Spirit. It's, it's pretty deep and rich, and probably we'll talk about this in another message somewhere in the future, but I just want you to see how Paul's taking what happened to Moses, which is what we're talking about today. He's bringing it forward to say how this is different now that we have Jesus, okay? And he, he talks about mirrors. In verse 18, he uses the word contemplate. Now, that Greek word, kataprizo, pretty good, right? Uh, in the Greek, um, you wouldn't know, but that's good, that pronunciation. Okay, in other versions, it says beholding, depends on what version, contemplate, beholding, that same Greek word, kataprizo, it means to reflect, okay, as in a mirror. So when we see the glory of God, we reflect it. Verse 18, when we all who with unveiled faces contemplate, but that Greek word actually means to reflect as in a mirror. So read it this way, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. So Paul's contrasting Moses' radiating face, which shone briefly after seeing God, with the radiating, faith, the radiating faces of Christians who can radiate constantly now. Does that make sense? So under the law, the, the, it faded. The glory faded. It, it was on him for a while, and it began to go away. But now that we have Jesus and his righteousness and the glory of him can be within us, that glory can radiate permanently. Because of the Spirit who's constantly with us, and the ongoing spiritual transformation that Christians, followers of Jesus, are going through, the glory of God is able to be constantly radiated in us. I think the question I have is where are all the radiating faces, <laughs> mine included? If that's true. So our task then is to mirror to others the love of God. The glory of God, His Spirit, it's, He is in us and His glory is shining through us and we are to radiate His love to everybody. We're called to be the ones to radiate the spiritual presence of God, to be the ones who mirror the Holy One. It is such a ginormous task that God has given us. But it's not like he has said, okay, I want you to go and, um, man, I don't know how to say that. He is, he is commanding us, but it's, Jesus says, if you obey me, you will follow my commands. I mean, if you love me, you, then you will obey me. The, the thing is, is I think a lot of times we try to obey him to prove our love to him, but that's not where Jesus is coming from. Jesus wants us to to love him and out of that love comes a desire to radiate his love to others so maybe the question all of you are thinking like me is what if we aren't mirroring the glory of God are people picking up the love that we have 
What produces that glow of godliness in our faces? And, and now that I'm talking about it, some of you are thinking about somebody you know who it's like they, as if they radiate the glory of God because of the way they love people. Listen, you have to understand, it's not how perfect you are. It's not how sinless you are. It's not how holy you act. It's not even how many good works you do because all of those things makes it about us. It's not about us. Remember, go back to the very beginning of glory. It's all about His glory. So it doesn't matter if we're perfect or sinless or holy or we do a bunch of good works. Those things just don't matter at all. It's not about us. And as people, we have to be careful. Humans, we make everything about us. Everything. This isn't. Only one thing is going to produce that glow. And that's nearness to God. We must do one thing above all else, and that is to seek His glorious face. We have to seek His glorious face. I wonder if God ever wants to shout to us, it's not about you. It's not about your performance or how good you are or how perfect you can live. It's about God and what I want to do in you. My cry today is, Jesus, I need you to rescue me. I need you to rescue me from myself. Won't you gaze upon the face of God? Not with your physical eyes, of course, but with your heart. With your spiritual eyes. With your loving and your longing. Since the loving face of Christ slowly delicately the Lord of the Spirit will fill the holes of your being pour healing ointment on your soreness and your sorriness it's only going to happen through the power of God as we gaze upon his glory to allow Him to work in your life, to allow Him to be God. <laughs> so the consequence of His glory. I don't know what else to call this last part, and we're getting at the end here. And then? <laughs> and then what? This is where it gets exciting. We all know that it's not about us, but have we wondered, so what's next? What's, what does this glory look like? What, what is the consequence of, of a radiating being of His love? What does it mean to reflect the glory of God? What does it mean to be metamorpho? Let's look at what happens. We, get, we ask the Scripture, eight, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is the water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? This is when Philip was talking to him. He said, Hey, let's get baptized. Look, there's some water right now. Let's do it. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down under the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, and I love this, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared. Surprise, there he is, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Like, the Holy Spirit whisked him away from this place to this place. He was transported 
It's, it's amazing. Like, so that, that's, that's one of the things that can happen, right? In Acts chapter 19, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. The message, I love how the message says it, same, same scripture. God did powerful things through Paul, things quite out of the ordinary. The word got around and people started taking pieces of clothing, handkerchiefs and scarves and the like that had touched Paul's skin and then touching the sick with them. The, the touch did it. They were healed and whole. God's glory. Like, it takes it to a whole new level. Jesus said, even greater things will you do than this. When he was talking about Jesus' ability to heal and, and to cast out demons and all the things. It was just clothes and handkerchiefs and cloth that had touched the skin of Paul. God's glory was on him so much. The last one, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. As a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. The question is, I think we excuse ourselves so often when we pray for somebody and nothing happens, we excuse ourselves, well, maybe God didn't want to heal that person. And we don't know the will of God, so I, I don't want to make light of that. But what I'm saying is here, every single person that was brought to them were healed. Every person. It's what the Scripture says, if we believe it. Peter's shadow, like... My, my sick friend, man, they're sick. Oh, Peter's going to be walking through town. Okay, let's just go see if his shadow can touch my sick friend. And they were healed. Hey, I've got this Kleenex that Paul used to blow his nose. Oh, good, let me have it. I'll go touch my friend with it. Healed. It's crazy, right? God's glory does amazing. This is the consequence of God's glory. This is what can happen, and this is what I want us as a church to experience let me rephrase that. It's not, oh, if you remember in the very beginning when God began to speak this to me, he said, this is what I want for the church. This is what I want for the Lantana community church. This is what I want. I want this for you. The scriptures are full of extraordinary events, miracles that can only be the results of God's intervention. Think about the walls of Jericho, the burning bush, Stephen, the martyr. I mean, the list. We could go on and on and on. So this is my conclusion. God wants to reveal himself. In fact, God is so awesome that he just can't help but reveal himself. And you know what? He's going to do that through us. We need God's glory. Are our lives reflecting him? Are we realizing His glory in our lives? 
does his glory come into me and other people see that? Are other people affected because my relationship with God is so close and strong? It's in this way that his glory will become evident not only to this church and to all of us who are here, but his glory will become evident to all those who are around us. So super passionate about his glory and wanting that for us. I think if we experience his glory in this way, then all of a sudden nothing else matters. I think it doesn't matter how long the pastor does or doesn't preach. I think it doesn't matter how many worship songs we sing or don't sing. I think I think in at the end it, it kind of won't matter because all we care about is his glory and his spirit being revealed and that's what I want. That's, that's not, I should reflect, that's not what I want. I mean, it is, but it's what God wants for us. <sighs> so, uh, this morning we're going to share in a time of communion. And if you're at home, um, we sent some messages out earlier. Just want to remind you, go ahead and begin to get your uh, elements that you might use. Um, some kind of a, a drink, water or juice or something, and then maybe um, some bread if you have it. It doesn't have to be grape juice, and it doesn't have to be um, the type of bread we use. It just needs to be something that can represent God's body, Jesus' body, excuse me, and His blood. Of course, here in the room we have the packets that you should have at your table. As we go through this today, and I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus and, and His glory and just the way this whole thing happens, and God, who at first revealed His glory to Moses, and then last week we talked about God who revealed His glory to Jesus, and then Jesus, God gave His glory to Jesus, Jesus gave His glory to the disciples and to us. That's what I want us to think about this morning as we're taking communion. Jesus, fill me with your spirit. It's not about anything else. You know what? It's not even about the miracles. It's not about the healing. All those things happen just as a result, a consequence of his glory. So this morning, I just would invite you to make that your prayer. Will you pray with me? We began by speaking about the circle. God, we're drawing a circle around this place. And we're not moving until you send your spirit. Show us your glory. Remembering how on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. And he said, Take and eat. This is my body which is broken for you. So I invite you now to take the bread and remember, it's his body that was broken for you. We recall as well how in the same way, when the meal was over, he took the cup, the cup of blessing, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take and drink. This is my blood, which was given to you for many for the forgiveness of sins.
when you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So I invite you now to take the cup and remember that this is Jesus' blood that was shed just for you. Jesus, this morning, we need you. We want you with us, God. Holy Spirit, would you show us your glory? Would you reveal yourself to us? And we want to be careful not to focus on the consequence or the result of your glory. I mean, we look forward to that, and that may, that's exciting, and, and we can't wait to see some of those things, but we want a relationship with you that is so amazing that out of that relationship, worship of you just happens. Your glory is revealed. That people, when they look at us, they would see you as we reflect your glory to them. That they would know you by the love that we love them with. Thank you, God.